Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host, Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. How you doing, Daphne? I'm doing great. I don't think I ever really appreciate that name, but thank you. What's, what, what do we call you? Uh, Heath. <laughs> Heath and I just got some, uh, don't, don't kill us, we just got some Christmas decorations yesterday. We're not going to put them up yet, but we got them to beat the crowd, so definitely recommend. Go, go to Target now. Yeah, you definitely want to beat the crowd, so we're doing that. Today we have a very interesting story, a nautical story for you guys. I love a nautical tale. You know, everybody does. But before we get into this episode today, we wanted to let you guys know that we have some super awesome, spooky merch for you guys to pick up. If you're loving the dark parts, it's definitely a good way to help out our show. We really appreciate it. You can head over to thedarkparts.com and click the shop tab. We actually have a semi-nautical sweatshirt, or zip hoodie, rather, and it says the Dark Parts Institute of Cryptozoology and Folklore Studies, and I just kind of did it as like a fun little thing as if, you know, you're going to the Dark Parts College, and Caddy the Sea Serpent is on the back, which is a Pacific Northwest kind of urban legend of this sea creature. So kind of a little fun thing there. Yeah, it's very cool. Definitely go check that one out. We've got a bunch of other designs. We have, what What do we have? Just We have hoodies? mugs and sweatshirts, pullovers, and I don't think we have a t-shirt yet just because it's cold. I don't think I made one. So yeah, warm, yes. warm shit. So definitely go check those ones out. Also, if you guys are digging the show, feel free to leave us a review. We always appreciate that as well. All right, guys, let's get into today's episode. Growing up in the Pacific Northwest had its perks. We are known for our vast landscape of Douglas fir trees, the hundred billion breweries we have here, and that Oregon Trail computer game where everybody died of dysentery and virtually shit themselves to death. But what most people don't know is that the Beaver State holds quite a bit of mystery. Today we're going to focus on a Pacific Northwest nautical tale by the sea. So let's get our Lewis and Clark on and navigate to the Oregon coast where the Goonies never say die and explore the haunted tale of the Tillamook Rock Lighthouse, also known as Terrible Tilly. Before we talk about the strange events of this lighthouse, we have to first learn what makes it so unique. The Coastal Cruising Highway 101 makes up 363 miles, or 584 kilometers, of road positioned along Oregon's scenic shoreline of the Pacific Ocean. Hiking trails, authentic seafood, and sea lion caves make the coast a popular destination for tourists. But what makes it even more picturesque are the total of 11 stunning lighthouses that you can visit in Oregon and the stories behind them. Most of these lighthouses have a charming and historic structural appeal, but the Tillamook Rock Lighthouse was kind of doomed from the start. In 1878, the United States Congress approved the funds of $50,000, which would equate to about $1 million today, to build a lighthouse located on the northern portion of the Oregon coast on top of Tillamook Headland. And a headland, also known as a head, is essentially a high cliff with a sheer drop off to the ocean below. But due to the fact that the head was level with the fog line, which is 1,000 feet high, 
it was determined that light would be obstructed, making the construction of a lighthouse pointless. With the money already approved, state officials had to turn to a plan B quickly. And this lighthouse is parallel to Tillamook, which is where Tillamook cheese comes from, from for all those cheese fans out there. Yeah, actually, I didn't I take you there once? We went for your birthday. Your mom took us. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we, we tried it before we went vegan. We tried all this really good cheese. So if you're into that, you should check out the Tillamook Cheese Factory when COVID's over. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's pretty awesome. You get to see them make cheese. And they make literally the best cheese, I think, in the world. Okay, again... I, I can't have this now, but there is this cheese. It's um it's a version of a sharp cheddar. I forget what it's called, but it's it's like a cape something sharp cheddar. It's a white cheddar. Oh my god, get it? So yummy. Those and the cheese curds. I love the squeaky cheese. I don't get that, but all right. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So it's this is where Tillamook is. So now that the Tillamook head was out of the question, a search for a better location was underway. Oregon has a lot of sea stacks, which are basically large rock columns typically located less than a mile off the shoreline that protrude from the ocean, and in 1878, officials had their eye on one rock that they felt could be the ticket to building their lighthouse to help ships travel in undesirable and hindered visibility. This particular rock settled 1.2 miles, or 1.9 kilometers, from the shoreline out in the ocean and was made up of basalt rock, and seemed to be the perfect place to build. But being less than one acre of land situated in the Pacific Ocean, officials were somewhat hesitant. So, in 1879, they sent a man named H.S. Wheeler, fucking badass name, in his small vessel to complete a survey on the rock and inspect the area for the possibility of construction. Wheeler initially reported that access to the rock was extremely limited, if not impossible, and he was unable to make it to the rock due to the harsh conditions of the temperamental waves and the rocky pathways. But he was ordered to continue his survey, and on his second trip, he finally was able to land on the rock. Wheeler explained that the conditions were less than ideal and that the rock would need considerable blasting in order to level a foundation for the lighthouse to be built. In September of 1879, a third survey of the rock was conducted, this time by a man named John Trawavis, who had more professional experience with constructing lighthouses. John had worked on the Wolf Rock Lighthouse in England, so officials trusted his final say regarding whether or not the project would be safe and achievable. Unfortunately, during John's landing of the rock, Large swells swallowed his vessel and he was swept out to sea, and his body would never be recovered. Determined to use the funds approved by Congress, despite Wheeler's report and the death of John Trawavis, local officials pushed yet again to build the lighthouse. Why do they want this lighthouse so bad? I don't know. I think they just think it's a really good idea and it's going to help save a lot of people. Which, I mean, I. I get because lighthouses are very, very important, but you're, you're killing people in the process. Yeah, definitely a dangerous situation. Yeah. And we'll get more into that. John was replaced by Charles Ballantyne, and the construction was finally a go. But Charles had a pretty hard time finding a crew who was willing to work the project, as you can imagine. Word spread quickly of John's death, and basically locals said, uh, 
hell no. You know, they don't want to risk their lives just to go out on this rock for a job, which totally makes sense. So he was eventually able to recruit a work crew of quarrymen who weren't local to the area and hadn't heard of John's tragedy, which is kind of like a like he tricked them. Yeah, basically. So Charles had ordered all the local townsfolk to stay away from the quarrymen in fear that the men would find out how dangerous the project was and refuse to work. Yeah, he literally sequestered these men. He was like, hey, townspeople, don't fucking talk to these guys because they're not going to want to do this job. And vice versa, he was basically told the quarrymen, like, don't talk to the locals. So he basically kept them away from each other. I get that you need to get the job done, but you're risking the lives of these poor guys and you're not letting them know the information. Oh yeah, Charles is an asshole for sure. That's horrible. But he was successful in his attempt to sequester the men and just months later in 1880, the top of Tillamook Rock was blasted and leveled for construction. Shortly after blasting, the team of quarrymen began construction of the lighthouse but the conditions were less than ideal. The only way to the rock was by boat, and the men had set up rig lines from their ship to the top of the rock in order to transport their tools and themselves back and forth between the rock and the ship, but coastal storms of unforgiving rain, turbulent wind, and crashing waves proved to be treacherous for them. In fact, in January of 1880, an unrelenting storm had thrown loose rocks barreling from the sea which smashed their worksite and washed away the men's supplies, stranding them on the rock for weeks without food, water, or dry clothes. And they nearly starved to death waiting for help to arrive. So these poor guys are just up there on this rock, they've got wet clothes, no food, and they're chilling for weeks and they almost die. Historical records of the event did, however, mention that all the men did survive the incident, so at least that's good, but fuck, that sucks. You're stranded on a rock for weeks with no food. And we're going to put pictures of the lighthouse on social media for everybody to be able to see and have a visual, but did they really expect a lighthouse keeper to live on this tiny little island, if you will, despite all the dangerous storms and all this just horrible shit that happens? Yes, they absolutely did. That was just part of the job. They they saw that as part of the job and you know, you didn't take a job like that unless you were unless you were ready and willing to do it. They knew that the job was dangerous. They knew that the isolation was going to be tough. But, you know, it probably paid well or, you know, people were probably in need of of work, so they just did it. After 500 days of grueling work and just weeks before completing the construction of the lighthouse on January 3rd, 1881, tragedy would strike yet again. A British ship traveling from Hiago, Japan and up the Oregon coastline headed for Portland called the Lupatia had been navigating the water near the uncompleted Tillamook Rock Lighthouse when they found themselves in a cloud of dense fog. The Lupatia's crew had lost their captain early on in their voyage, and the ship's mate, B.H. Raven, was tasked with navigating the rest of the way. That night, the Lupatia had been hugging the coastline just a few miles out at sea when a southwestern wind brought in the blinding and thick fog. It was 8 p.m. and H.S. Wheeler, remember the man who did the first survey of the rock and who is now overseeing the build of the lighthouse, 
had heard the sounds of voices yelling in the dark distance. The lighthouse crew was also awoken by the sounds of the screams in the night. Wheeler peered into the night and saw a red light shining from a ship passing by. About 600 to 1,000 feet from the unfinished lighthouse, Wheeler saw a ship struggling to keep control in the wind and fog, and it was sailing dangerously close to the jagged rocks nearby. He then heard a man give the order, Hard a port, which means to turn the tiller to the left or the port side of the ship in order to maneuver to the right or starboard. Wheeler then quickly ordered his construction crew to gather as many lanterns as possible and race them to the top of the lighthouse into the tower to guide the Lupatia. He also ordered his crew to quickly start a large bonfire on the rock in hopes of directing the ship's crew. Wheeler kept an eye on the red light in the distance, but all of a sudden, the red light disappeared. Wheeler and his men were hopeful that the Lupatia was able to work its way out of that tough position, so they made their way to bed for the night. The next morning, Wheeler heard the sound of whimpering, so naturally, he went to investigate. He made his way to the shoreline of the rock and noticed an animal sitting next to the water. Getting closer, he noticed it was a shepherd dog that had been making the noises. Then, Wheeler saw what the dog had been making a fuss over. Washed among the shore were the bodies of 12 men. He also noticed a shattered topmast and broken rigging floating in the waves. So these are just like pieces of a ship in the water. It was clear that the dead man in the water was the crew of the Lupatia. The ship had sunk and not a soul lived to tell the tale. The only survivor was the dog sitting next to the water. And I have no idea how this dog was able to survive this horrible storm and this horrible shipwreck, but 12 men did not. I feel like the men had a better chance of surviving than the dog, so I do not understand how all 12 died and this one dog didn't. That's insane. Finally, on January 21st, 1881, the Tillamook Rock Lighthouse was finally completed and ready for duty. Upon its completion, it was the most expensive lighthouse on the West Coast to date. Why do you think that is? Just because there was so much that had to be done to it because it was offshore like that? Definitely. I think because they had to do the blasting, just the sheer level of how much work had to be done to create this lighthouse, I think that's what made it so expensive. Not to mention halfway through creating it, that like basically the work site kept getting destroyed by all these different storms, so they had to keep redoing shit. But that's what's so crazy. Like, did they expect it to just not keep getting messed up from the storms? I think that they thought that they were going to be able to create this amazing structure that could withstand the pounding of the waves. But the ocean is extremely powerful. The lighthouse included an attached quarter for its keepers and a 62-foot-tall tower that housed a first-order Fresnel lens which is said to have been the invention that saved over a million ships, with an incandescent oil vapor lamp 133 feet above sea level. So that's how high the, uh, the tower actually was. And the range of the light was about 18 miles or 29 kilometers and was set up with a steam-operated foghorn. 
Four keepers were originally assigned to man the lighthouse, and the men would rotate working 42 days on the rock and 21 days off. So 42 days these guys had to be on this rock, basically isolated by themselves. And while on duty, the keepers weren't allowed to bring their wives or their children with them, so they were completely alone. All they had was themselves and the ocean, essentially. That's just got to get so boring. I mean, at least you're not alone, unless you were alone, which would be frightening. But we just watched that movie, The Lighthouse, recently, and it kind of shows you how easy it is to go crazy when you're isolated like that. And I mean, I can't even imagine you can't even go to the store. Like, you just kind of eat what you have. That's tough. Yeah, and a lot of these guys just had to bring enough food for themselves for 42 days. So they had to ration what they ate so they couldn't have big meals. They had to make sure that they were eating small portions every day and only drinking a certain amount of water each day. On top of that, there was no electricity, so they're operating by candlelight. So basically, most of the time... It's pretty dark within the keeper's quarters. Also, if you do have a wife or children, it's like, how do you maintain having a family when you have to spend 42 days on an island, basically, and then only 21 days off, and then you have to go back and you just keep doing that? Yeah, you basically just keep rotating. So basically, it's like, dad's going to be gone for 42 days. See you later. And then like 42 days later, he's home for another 21 days. Then he's got to go right back out. So Not only the fact that you're isolated away from your family, but again, you're all by yourself on a rock, no one to talk to, nothing to do. It's pounding storms constantly. I mean, that's just got to suck ass. Yeah, all you can really do is like read a book and drink. Like there's nothing else to do. A lot of these guys kept logbooks so they could just, you know, write down their their feelings or what <laughs> what they did in their day, which I'm sure is pretty much the same fucking thing every day, most likely. I mean, those would probably be really interesting to read, though, just because, I mean, obviously, this is also in the 1800s, so it's a very different time in itself. But then, I don't know, like, I can't imagine the day to day. That's just rough. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of, like, fishing or, like, a lot of, like, crab cages being thrown off the rock. I mean, what else do you do? And a big issue with this particular lighthouse was that getting to and from it was always a really dangerous task. And not only that, but once the keepers were on the rock, they often struggled with their mental health due to being alone, like we were just kind of saying. And then, of course, you have to deal with all those horrible storms. In 1897, a telephone line was installed at the lighthouse, but sure enough, a massive storm wiped out the communication operation. So the keepers were really pushed to the limit during the years that they spent operating the lighthouse. The original thick glass windows were consistently being shattered by large waves and flying debris, including rocks. During a massive storm in 1912, It was estimated that more than 100 tons of rock surrounding the lighthouse broke off into the sea. On top of all this, on numerous occasions, the tower was flooded, nearly drowning its keeper inside. So definitely some construction flaws going on. First of all, the storms are just beating the shit out of this rock. All this rock is falling off into the sea, making the area of the rock smaller 
And on top of that, you have waves pouring in through the windows, breaking glass everywhere, flooding the quarters inside. I mean, these keepers are really just not having a great time being on that rock. God, these poor people. Like, it's bad enough that you're isolated and then you add all this other shit on top of it. That's so, so horrible. Oh, and there's more. Eventually, a man named Henry Jenkins was able to create a makeshift radio out of the severely damaged foghorn in order for keepers to contact the outside world. At this point, the lighthouse has been given the name Terrible Tilly. And on October 21st, 1934, the worst storm ever recorded hit the Pacific Northwest for more than four days, and the original lens that was in the tower had been completely destroyed. During this particular storm, winds in the area reached 109 miles per hour, which launched giant rocks into the lighthouse, damaging most of the lantern room. In 1935, it took about $12,000 to repair the damage from the storm the previous year, and the original lens was replaced by a new aero beacon lens, and metal mesh was placed around the lantern room to protect the structure. Through the years, many of the keepers explained that they could hear voices of ghosts that died throughout the history of Terrible Tilly, haunting the lonely rock at night. On September 1st, 1957, the last keeper of the Tillamook Rock Lighthouse, whose name was Oswald Alec, wrote this in his final entry of his logbook. Farewell, Tillamook Rock Light Station. An era has ended. With this final entry, and not without sentiment, I return thee to the elements. You, one of the most notorious and yet fascinating of the sea-swept sentinels in the world, long the friend of the tempest-tossed mariner, through howling gale, thick fog, and driving rain, your beacon has been a star of hope, and your foghorn a voice of encouragement. May the elements of nature be kind to you. For 77 years, you have beamed your light across desolate acres of ocean. Keepers have come and gone, men lived and died, but you were faithful to the end. May your sunset years be good years. Your purpose is now only a symbol, but the lives you have saved and the service you have rendered are worthy of the highest respect. A protector of life and property to all, many old-timers, newcomers, and travelers along the way, Pause from the shore in memory of your humanitarian role. In the years after the lighthouse was decommissioned, the original windows were filled in with concrete and portholes were installed. The shore of Terrible Tilly became the home for large groups of sea lions and birds, now that humans had pretty much called it quits. And most locals say that if you listen closely, you can still hear the howl of a shepherd dog or the voices of dead crew members giving orders when no ships are nearby. Some also say that ghost ships also exist appearing and then disappearing quickly. In fact, Terrible Tilly is said to be so haunted that one of its original keepers was taunted to the point that he was institutionalized and eventually sent to an insane asylum. So this guy definitely saw some creepy shit in the lighthouse. Other keepers said that they could hear footsteps running up and down the stairs of the tower at night while they were laying in bed, and they would see human shadows drift past them on the walls in candlelight. 
and then disappear. And obviously, we have to consider the fact that these guys are on this lonely rock for 42 days, all alone. So hearing and seeing things that aren't there is probably a natural occurrence. That probably happens pretty often. Well, do you know how many men were on... I'm going to call it an island because it's kind of an island. Do you know how many men were on it at once? One person. Just one. You're all alone. Yes. One person would be the man, would be the person, that, like the keeper. He would be the only one there. I thought there'd be at least two. No, it's one person. Okay, that's insane. So you're by yourself dealing with these storms and you're, I mean, you're basically isolated for over a month, completely alone. And you have to deal with the breaking windows from the waves. You have to deal with the flooding. Oh my God, you would go crazy for sure. Yeah, and it only it only took one person to man like the tower and anything else that they needed done. Like it, it only took one person to get the job done, really. Uh, which makes sense because how much is there really to do? I mean, it's just the one lighthouse. Yeah, you're just basically chilling until ships pass by. Oh my God. And uh, like you were saying in the beginning, is that I'm sure that they were paid a little bit better because of the conditions of this lighthouse than if you're, say, at a lighthouse that's on shore. So it's sad because some of the guys who were doing this probably were doing it to help support their families that they didn't even get to spend time with. Exactly. Exactly. So another creepy thing, too, about Terrible Tilly. In 1980, a private group of investors purchased the lighthouse and opened a columbarium on Terrible Tilly. And if you don't know what a columbarium is, It's a storage place for urns holding ashes of the dead. The group called their business model Eternity at Sea, and around 30 urns were placed inside the lighthouse. In 1999, the Oregon Mortuary and Cemetery Board revoked the group's license. I'm not sure why. And they did reapply in 2005, but were denied for whatever reason. And although the columbarium's license is invalid currently, Owner Mimi Morissette, who runs Eternity at Sea, says that if renovations are made to the structure of the lighthouse and the keeper's quarters, it could hold up to 300,000 souls. The mortuary board basically thinks that the lighthouse is structurally not very great right now. They think that waves could just wash the whole thing over. Which, so- is, why the, which is why it's abandoned. Right, right, exactly. And and so basically they're saying, like, listen, because of that fact, we don't want to keep putting urns inside the lighthouse just in case a wave does wash it away and then all these urns are just lost. Which, if you're a part of the Eternity at Sea program, you probably don't mind very much if your urn gets washed away to sea because that's kind of the whole purpose, right? I right. Mean, you, you want your urn to be out at sea, essentially. Exactly. I mean, I think it's an interesting idea, but it is kind of creepy to think about that there are just urns and there could be way more urns just in this lighthouse off the shore and that that's its purpose. Because obviously this was built to be an actual lighthouse and it just didn't exist for very long because of all the problems. Yeah, it's very strange to think about the fact that not only have we heard ghost stories about Terrible Tilly, that ghosts may exist within the lighthouse, but now there's 30 different urns that are just sitting inside of the lighthouse. That just, to me, that just makes the story even more spooky. It's real haunted now. I mean, yeah, there's literal ashes inside. 
But it's also, I mean, it's still so dangerous, even if this company is going to go and bring all these urns over. Like, again, we'll post photos of this lighthouse. It's it's crazy. Like, it's it's not a safe place to land. Yeah. So just leave it alone. And if you've ever seen pictures of, like, Alcatraz and what it looks like now, how it's just abandoned and it's real beat up, and it looks scary. I mean, from the outside, it looks creepy. It does. That's exactly what terrible Tilly looks like. Like, it's just beat up, covered in, like, rust and algae, and it's just weather-beaten. It looks really fucking scary. Go check out those photos. Uh, on Instagram, by the way, we're at the Dark Parts Podcast, Twitter at the Dark Parts Pod, and then we also have a Facebook group, which is just the Dark Parts. And we can talk real quick about the ghosts that live inside the lighthouse, or at least the ones that I read about. There was one keeper in particular who loved living at the lighthouse. He loved being a keeper. Somehow. Somehow he loved it. He wanted to be buried there. I'm not sure if he was or not, but some people say that his ghost is in the lighthouse, but they also mentioned that he's a really friendly ghost, so he's not malicious in any way. But they also say that there are other keepers, like ghosts of other keepers, that are malicious that will definitely taunt you in the middle of the night and are there basically to scare you off the rock. Like, they they don't want you there. And it's kind of funny to think about that because each keeper finds the lighthouse to be kind of personal to them. Like, they're like, basically like, this is my job. Like, imagine spending 42 days at this lighthouse. These people consider the lighthouse, basically consider it theirs, you know? I mean, it kind of is. It's just you, you're in charge of it, and you're the only one there. You're there alone. Exactly. So considering this, it's not hard to believe that there are ghosts of keepers that don't want new keepers there. So when we're going back and talking about the guy who went to the insane asylum, we have to consider the fact that there was probably malicious ghosts in that lighthouse that don't want new keepers there. Well, they're probably pretty happy now with it being abandoned and all. Yeah, definitely. Currently, access to the rock is very limited, even for its owner. It's said that really the only way to get to the rock nowadays is by helicopter. Endangered seabirds inhabit the rock as well, so most of the time the rock is off limits during nesting season. And the rock is now protected by the Oregon Islands National Wildlife Refuge. So even though this woman, Mimi Morissette, owns the lighthouse, she's not even able to access the lighthouse during specific months due to the fact that there's nesting season going on for these endangered seabirds. Again, I just say leave it alone. Like, it's just, it's terrible, Tilly, for a reason. She's, she's haunted. She's dangerous. Let her be. So, strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that being a lighthouse keeper seems like a romantic and humbling experience, and maybe it is for other lighthouses, but Terrible Tilly isn't fucking around. She will straight up put your ass in a straitjacket. We also learned that there are dogs in the world that can outswim most adult humans, like fluffy little Michael Phelps. And lastly, we learned that if slash when the Tillamook Rock Lighthouse is restored, you have the option to be stored inside after you die, along with a shitload of other dead people, and you can finally fulfill your lifelong dream of being in a weird Beetlejuice version of The Little Mermaid, where you can party with spirit sailors, and maybe even hitch a ride on a ghost ship. Today's horror tip comes to you 
from the film *The Lighthouse*, 2019. Never, never kill seabirds. It's bad luck. Also, don't masturbate to wooden mermaid figurines. That's weird, Robert Pattinson. Love you though. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Dark Parts. Thank you so much, everybody. We're loving doing the show. We hope you guys love it too. Don't forget to share with a friend so we can help spread the good word on the Dark Parts. And if you guys have any recommendations as far as stories go, drop us a line. Yeah, you can let us know over on our Instagram or our Twitter. Just give us some suggestions, and we'll do our best to cover those stories. Also, once again, we have merch available. Head over to thedarkparts.com and click on the shop tab and get shopping. We might have to make a terrible Tilly merch item. Oh, I love it. I love that idea. Can can there be like a like a masturbating mermaid on it or something? God, no, <laughs> no. We'll just put like a we'll we'll get Robert Pattinson on it, but we'll shrink him really really small and put him in the top of the lighthouse. <laughs> okay, that's I'm gonna make good. this. I'm serious. <laughs> I love this idea. All right, guys. We'll see you next time in the dark parts. Ha, ha, ha.